This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Really, more so you're seeing me. I don't get to see you right now. I would love to change that, um, but I, I, don't, I don't get to right now. So um, good to be seen by you, I suppose, is how I should say it. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well. Um, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me a text if you would. Um, I think everybody has my number. If you don't, text me and I'll give you my number. Um, shoot me a text. Let me know how things are going. I just, I just want to hear and check in with you all. This COVID stuff has, I remember early on being like, we're in week three, week four, thinking it would be over soon. And then here we are in July. So, man, we're starting a series um, called Knowing God. Uh, We may have started it last week. No, I think we're starting it this week. See, this is what happens. I don't even know. Um, But we're going to be, we're going to be focusing on knowing God uh, and just really looking at who God is based on what the Bible says um, about who he is. And so, uh, today, if you want to, we're going to be in a couple different places. If you want to start at Hebrews 11, uh, we'll also get to Philippians 3 and Exodus 34. Um, so if you want to like mark some stuff up, uh, that, that'll, be, that'll be the way to go. Uh, today for lunch, I had the, uh, the cram- spicy, spicy chicken, cram- cranberry spicy chicken sandwich thing at Stinson's. Um, and you're thinking, man, why did you tell me about that? Uh, well, I just want everybody to know about Stinson's. Go grab some coffee from them. They're good people. We like them. Uh, tip them well. Uh, but yeah, I had the sandwich with some fries, and I picked that over the quesadillas, which was my other option, because I thought, I thought really, I wanted the fries that come with the sandwich. The fries don't come with the, uh, the quesadillas, but I wanted the fries, and uh, I didn't want to pay for a full side order of fries. I wanted them to come with the, um, with the sandwich, and so... Uh, Corey, why are you telling us this, you're asking? Uh, because I chose the, the chicken sandwich with the fries over the quesadillas because I believe that was the better choice uh, for me. That's what, um, what's what seemed best. That's what seemed like it was going to make me happier. Um, I, I'm also drinking coffee right now because I think that having coffee is better than not. Uh, and so I have some coffee. Um, you know, w- we all make choices. Every choice we make, we make because we believe it's going to be better for us. We believe it's going to be the best choice. So uh, you woke up this morning, and um, I guess that wasn't really a choice. That's just more the grace of God to let you wake up. But then you you maybe got out of bed. Um, If you got out of bed, you you got out of bed because you believe it's better than staying in bed all day. Uh, If you're still in bed, then you believe staying in bed is better than getting out of bed, right? Um, Even if... Uh, you're like, I'm going to make all the choices that I know are not better. I'm just going to do the complete opposite, right? So if I think eating is better, I'm not going to eat. And if I think, you know, uh, you know, being nice to people is better, I'm going to be mean. I'm going to do everything the opposite just to prove him wrong that all the choices I make aren't, you know, what I think is better. And, and that's actually, you're making the choice to, you, you think the better choice is to rebel, and to do everything complete opposite. It's, the, it's what you think is better. Um, every single choice we make, every one, in the moment, in the long run, we make because we think it's better. We think it's the best choice to be made in our lives. We look at the facts. We look at the circumstances. We look at our feelings. We look at 
what people tell us, and we put all that together and we decide this is the better route. This is the better route. Um, even when Adam and Eve um, knowingly sinned against God, they believed in that moment it was better. That was the better choice was to, to go their own way. And so it's, it's just how we're wired, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we're wired that way because God made us to choose what we believe is best because he ultimately knows he's best. And so because we're wired to choose what is best, then, then at some point by his grace, our eyes will hopefully, hopefully be opened and we'll see his ways actually are better than my ways. He is better than anything else and we'll choose what's best, which is God. He wants what's best for us, and, and what's best for us is to choose what's best, which is Him. So God actually created us to, to choose what we believe is better. Where, where we go wrong is when what we believe is better is not actually better. You know, when, when Adam and Eve believed that it was better to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they were wrong. It was, not, it was not actually better, but they were convinced and deceived that it was. And so that's where things go, go wrong is when what we believe is better is not. When we're choosing wrong. But the, the fact remains that we choose, we do what we want at every moment in every day, what we believe is better, what we believe is best for us. It's just, it's, it's how, it's just, the, as much as I breathe air without, it's just how I'm made. This is how we're made. We, we choose what's better. I want to look at two people today in the Bible who made the same choice you and I make. The choice for what they believed was, was better. Uh, Moses and Paul. So background of Moses, right? We see Moses come on the scene in, in Exodus, and we know about the Ten Commandments. We know about the, the plagues and the, the, the incredible, miraculous Exodus from being slaves in Egypt. But we have to remember that as a baby, Moses was born um, by an Israelite mom and dad, by, by an Israelite family. But at the same time, Pharaoh had issued a decree that all baby boys born would be drowned in the river. Every baby boy that was born, the, the maidservants were commanded to go and drown in the river. Moses was born during that time, but Moses' mom feared God, trusted God, and believed it was more important to obey God than to obey man. That's a common theme throughout the Bible. File that away. It is better and more important to obey God than to obey man, no matter what the cost of man. And, and that's what she believed. And so she didn't, they didn't drown the, the Moses, but she did put him in a basket and, and then set him in the river. And it was there that Moses' or no, Pharaoh's daughter Pharaoh's daughter found Moses in this basket and took Moses as her own. And so Moses is raised in the house of Pharaoh as Pharaoh's grandson. He has everything at his fingertips. He lacked for nothing. Pharaoh was the top dog in all of Egypt, the most powerful, rich, abundant place in the Middle East. And, and Pharaoh is, is running the show and, and Moses is his grandson living in the palace. He's got education. He's got food. He's got toys. He's got fun. He's got people. He's got money, right? Anything that he wants, Moses can have like that. 
It gets all there. The, the, the life of privilege is laid out for him to casually meander down at his own leisure. Everything is there. And yet, that's not how the story played out for Moses. That's not how he ultimately lived his life. Why? If he has everything that the majority of the world dreams of laid before him at his fingertips, why would he not walk that path? What choice, remember we choose what we believe is better, what choice would he believe is better than the choice to have everything given to you? We'll come back to Moses. Paul, he's the other guy we're going to look at. Uh, but we know him. Um, oh, Mike told me don't kick the tripod, and I just kicked the tripod. So my apologies to everybody watching and to Mike. You are right. I kicked the tripod. I will try to keep my feet to myself. My apologies. Saul, I hope the camera, we'll assume it's still in the right place. Um, so Paul is the other guy. But initially, he was named Saul. His mom and dad, they wrote on his birth certificate, Saul. Um, and so that was his name originally. He was born into a Jewish family. Uh, he was educated. He was smart. Uh, he was raised in the Jewish church, upholding strictly the, the law of God, the law that God gave Moses. Man, Paul took that and he held it tight. He was memorizing it front and backwards. Um, he was doing well in school. Uh, he, had, he had reputation and power. I mean, the governing officials were like, hey, dude, go do your thing. Like, he just kind of had, um, you know, the freedom to go do what he wanted and the power and respect and authority that, that everyone listened and followed. He, he, was the, he was the one that didn't have to do the dirty work. He just stood by and supervised the dirty work, right? Like he, he was up there in the ranks of his, his culture and his community and his people. The, the, the lane for him was cleared out. He was running and running well. And, and again, what so many people value in this world, power and authority and respect and prestige, man, Paul had it. Saul, I should say, had it. Yet, that's not how his life went either. That's not the path he continued on either. Why? What, what happened? What happened? Remember, the same for Moses, the same for Saul, the same for you and me. We all make choices based on what we believe is better, what we believe is the best choice. What was the better option for Saul that would, would have him completely course correct and change direction? <clears throat> That's the question we're asking. That's, that's the scenario that we're, we're set up with today, okay? You got Moses and you got Saul, and both of them have this life laid out for them that many dream of and, 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 and fight for and seek after and devote their lives to. It's there. They've got it. Like, they've got anything they want, and yet that's not the life they live. Hebrews 11. We'll look at Moses first. Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen to this verse right here. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Because he considered the reproach of Christ. He considered the the sufferings of Christ. He considered the hardships of being a man of God greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, so, so look, Moses has literally everything. Right, like he has the money, he has the food, he has the dreams, he has the power, he's got the stuff, he's got, if he wants sex, he's got it, if he wants alcohol, he's got it, if he wants, he's got it all given to him. The full treasures of Egypt is, is at his fingertips and as his hand. And, and don't, let's not be foolish or naive enough to think there wasn't a temptation there. Moses, I mean, he knew there was a pleasure to this. There, there was a temptation towards this lifestyle. There was something that pulled him towards it. And so we don't want to be naive and think like, oh, he didn't, there wasn't a temptation there, right? No, there was. There was something appealing about that lifestyle. But he knew that it was fleeting. He knew that it didn't last. He tried it. It didn't sustain. He knew that it was a fleeting pleasure and that he being a man of God, walking in relationship with God, knowing God was of greater wealth than all the treasure of Egypt. And not just knowing God, like God being with God, having God knowing him was so great that it was of more value to suffer as a, as a man of God, to suffer as, as one of, of God's people than to indulge as a man of the world. It was of greater wealth to suffer as a man of God than to indulge as a man of the world. That's how valuable, how, how miraculous, how, how beautiful, how incredible knowing God is. Moses literally had it all. And he believed it was better to, to walk away from everything, the, all the treasures of Egypt, all the fleeting pleasures of sin, to walk away from it, even to suffer in the kingdom of God, that was better because God was so much better. Are, are you seeing the, are you seeing that? The, everything that Moses walked away, away from paled in comparison to how great God was that even suffering for God was better than indulging in the treasures of Egypt. <laughs> and this isn't just fictional, this is real. This is real that, that Moses believed God was that much better. That being in the presence of God, regardless of circumstances, was so much better. So that's Moses. Moses is like, I, I don't take the treasures of Egypt. Take the comforts of this life. Take all of those things. Suffering in the kingdom of God is better than indulging in the flesh of the world. That, that should tell us how great God is. Knowing this God. So then let's get to Saul, right? Saul says in Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 3. He says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
Although, he says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. So Paul's saying if anyone thinks that the life they have, the, 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 the life they're living in this world, they've got confidence in it, I, I, I've got you beat. I've got more confidence. I've got more than you. I'm, I've got all of that and then some. Take your best day and it's like an average day for me. That's what Paul is saying. Like his, his just measure of, of goods in this world was silly. And he's just, he's rocking it. He's just killing it. He says, I had all the confidence in the flesh. He says, let me go ahead and list these out for you, right? Verse five, circumcised on the eighth day, right? So he's a, he's a Jew by, by just nationality. He's born into it from the get-go. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul is like, man, my religious pedigree, my ethnicity, my, my morality, my commitment to my nation, the, the, the power and prominence I had, like, you know, as people, we always look and we see the, these men and women of faith that we're like, man, these, these people are like at the top. Like we wouldn't necessarily say that because, you know, we feel kind of weird saying it, but we think it, right? Like these people are killing it and crushing it. They're at the top of the game. And Paul is like, yeah, I was the tippy top. I was up there. Just everybody pointed up to me, right? And Paul is just killing it. And he says, verse seven, but whatever gain I had, Whatever surplus I had, whatever treasures I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I, I laid it down for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss, listen to this phrase, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul, like Moses, has a, this isn't fiction, this isn't some like fairy tale, like, oh, that's a good, that's a good parable, that's a good story, right? This is real life. This is a real man. Saul of Tarsus was real, historical, and his life was flipped and transformed completely to be Paul, where historically, he's written by people outside of the church, wrote about this man and the transformation that happened. Why? Why did he forsake all of that? Why did he lay down all of that? Why did he get rid of all of that? Because the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. He's willing to suffer the loss of all things because suffering the loss of all things in the presence of Christ is greater gain than having the whole world. He's like, I'll, I'll get rid of the whole world if I can gain Christ because that knowing Christ, knowing God is of surpassing value and worth. We've got two people, thousands of years separation, Moses and Saul. Both of them have in the worldly eyes everything. I mean, they've just got the full list. They've got everything 
And then God pulls the veil back and they see that the, the glitz and glamour of this world and this life is dull and bland in comparing in compared to knowing God. That, that this world of full gain, of everything before them, everything that opens so often opens our eyes wide and increases our heart rate and our adrenaline and we can't wait to get our, our, our hands on, right? And that, that God says, you've been living in black and white and he opens their eyes to the living, full, robust color of knowing God. And that he's far greater and far surpasses the full measure of everything else that they can have outside of him. And, and it's a no-brainer for them. He's so valuable and so great that they walk away from it all because he's so great. They, they choose what they believe is better. That never changes. They choose what they believe is better. They've just come to finally see and their eyes are open that what's better is not living in this world for themselves. What's better is living for the future reward and for their king. That's what's better. Knowing God is far greater than everything else. And so they choose what's better, to know God. I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I would bet if you're honest with me, if we, if we both sat down and we said, man, have we encountered God like Moses and Paul? Like, have we, have we encountered God where we would take, if, if all of our dreams could come true, if everything we wanted in this life, everything that we desired in this life, if, if it would all come true and be given to us, would we know, like deep down experientially know that God is so much greater that we would joyfully walk away from all that? That if, the, if it came down to choose God or everything else that we've ever dreamed or thought or wanted in our life, we had to choose one or the other, that we would know so deeply that God has far surpassed all of that worth that we'd walk away. And I think, I believe it and I get it and I've had moments of that, but I think so much of my life, I would not say I've lived with this deep understanding of how great God is, that that he's far surpassing all the gains of this world, that, that I would just consider it garbage. I, I don't, I don't, no, no, I know that I have just not tasted how great God is like that yet. Maybe glimpses and bits, but not, not really. And, and I'd be willing to bet, like we read this and and we, we know it and we think it and we believe it. But yet then when we think about ourselves, it just feels distant and disconnected. And we're like, I mean, that's great for, for Paul. That's awesome. Yes, like surpassing worth of knowing Christ. But I don't really know that I know that. This, this temptation, this world, it's still pretty darn appealing. I kind of I want to hold on to it. I, I just think that's what oftentimes we think is better. And so as a church, um, and God's just been, I mean, I call it a godly angst, a holy discontent, just this unrest where he's just telling me, Corey, there is so much more to be had in me. And that's where he's wanting to take us, y'all. That's, that's where he's wanting to take me and, and where he's wanting to lead, you know, my family and you and because God's not holding out. He wants us to know this. He wants us to have this. He wants us to have so much value and worth in Him that everything, everything else in the world is just like black and white. We're like, man, I don't want that. I want the living color. I want the fullness. 
I really believe that's where he's taken us. And so we're, we're having this series of, of knowing God so that Psalm 34, I love this, these verses, that these, these wouldn't just be poetry in Psalms. It would be living words for our life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste is experience. It's not, it doesn't say imagine. It says taste for yourself. Experience the flavor and the goodness of God. See with your own eyes how good he is. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him, those who love him, those who surrender to him have no lack. They're lacking nothing. This verse is talking, it's what what Moses and Saul understood. They tasted and they saw how good God is. They, they, they experienced how good he is. And once they grabbed hold of that, they were like, this has no flavor anymore. It's just bland. That's what I believe God is leading us to. That's what he's putting in my heart to taste and see that he is good. And so we want to know God. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to spend... We're going we're gonna to come out of these, these verses in Psalm, I mean, Psalm Exodus um, 34. These are the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. And, and it's just verses that describe who God is so that we can know this God that is of surpassing worth and value than everything else. God tells Moses, Moses asks, who are you? I want to see you. I want to know more of your glory. Show me more, God. And Moses says, and God says in verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. It says after that, and Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. See, God revealed who he is to Moses, his character. And Moses couldn't help but humble himself and worship this God. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks just looking at the character of of God, who he is, so that we can know him more. Because I believe that as we know God, as we see him more clearly, our response will be worship and surrender and love and the fullness of joy. Because knowing God is better than all of life. So that's where we're going to, we're going to spend time. Now, here's the thing. What, what will stop us? Like what will get in our way? What will obstruct us from, from knowing God like Moses and like, like Saul? What, what will make this not, like not happen? One, there is a real enemy. Showed up in Genesis chapter 3 and started whispering lies and deception to Eve and to Adam. There's a real enemy in opposition that wants to only steal, kill, and destroy from the joy that you and I have in God. That is his mission, is he takes your life, and he knows you by name, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy the joy that you can have in God. That's his purpose. Sun up to sundown and repeat. Do we have an enemy that is seeking to destroy? right now is prowling around and looking for someone to devour. And his aim is to lure us, tempt us, deceive us to choose the fleeting pleasures of sin 
rather than the joy and obedience in the presence of God. That is his objective, is to deceive and to tempt and to make you think that, that the world is better than what God has to offer, that, that your ways are better than his. There's this quote in C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters, that I, I just want to read to you. Um, in this book, Screwtape is a, it's a, it's a fictional book, but it's written out of his understanding of the scriptures. Screwtape is a seasoned demon, um, a veteran who's been um, demonically oppressing people for years and years and years. And he is mentoring his nephew, Wormwood. And so he writes letters back and forth to Wormwood, kind of instructing him in how to do the most damage to people. And he says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are in a sense on the enemy's ground. So remember, this is a demon talking. So the enemy is, is God, right? The enemy of the demon is God. He says, when we're dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, in a sense, we're on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his God's invention, not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy, God, has produced at times or ways or in degrees which he has forbidden and increase an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return, that is what really gladdens our father's, Satan's heart. The instruction that Screwtape gives is we want to take the pleasures that God has created and we want to, we want to tempt man to, to make them bigger than God. To, to uh, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. To increase our craving for things that won't satisfy. That's, that's the temptation of the devil. And so what's going to keep us from knowing God is our, our walking in the devil's temptations, our giving into those desires and not surrendering fully to Jesus, not trusting and loving him. It's going to keep us from knowing God. So we want to be watchful and diligent. Listen, <clears throat> what makes God better? Moses and, and Saul, they, they joyfully, willingly gave up the fleeting pleasures of the world in order to even suffer under the name of Christ. What makes God that much better? It, right? Let's, let's be honest with ourselves. Do we really think he's better? What makes him that much better that we would be willing to walk away from everything. We'd be willing to suffer hardship. We'd be willing to do the hard thing, to, to endure persecution, whatever it took in order to gain Christ. What makes him so much better? And this is the key that I think just takes time and the grace of God to open our eyes further and further and further to, and it is the gospel. It, it is the presence of God that moves near to us. In Exodus 33, Moses says, you know, he says, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. 
For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people in the face of the earth? Moses says, what makes us distinct, what makes this better is your presence. God, your presence is what changes everything. And, and the presence of God is most known in the gospel. That's what Saul knew. <clears throat> that Saul, the chief of sinners, the one who was actively persecuting Jesus, was pursued in love by Jesus himself. He, he's, he's attacking and abusing Jesus, and yet Jesus is responding in love and mercy and grace. And he's responding patiently opening his eyes to see that he's going the wrong way, that he's doing the wrong thing, that he's choosing not what's better. The gospel is that you and I, Moses and Saul and every person, we've all chosen our own way. We've chosen the fleeting pleasures of sin. And when we do that, we sin against a holy and righteous God and we cut ourselves off from his presence. We cut ourselves off from the fullness of joy in His presence. We do that to ourselves. And so, man, in many cases, I think when, when we treat people and we're like, man, they did it to themselves, right? Like, what God does, even when we do that to ourselves, is He pursues us to fix what we broke, to, to pay the cost for our offense. And so Jesus, He comes, God in the flesh, to live the perfect life, the sinless life, that God required of us. Jesus lived it for us. And in his death on the cross, he suffered the punishment for your sin and my sin. The, the reason we're separated from God is our record of sin against him, our mountain of debt against him. And Jesus settled that debt for us on the cross. He paid that debt in full. And then he rose from the dead and he stands alive today. Jesus is alive today in heaven with an offer of an exchange. He will take our sin in forgiveness and it will be buried in the grave with him and he will give us his righteousness. He will take our sin and give us his righteousness so that what we need in order to have a relationship with God, in order to be in the presence of God, in order to know God in the fullness of life in Him, what we need is the righteousness of Jesus, and Jesus offers it to us freely. We receive it by faith. By faith, knowing and trusting that only Jesus is good enough, and suffered enough for my sins that I can be made clean and given his righteousness. And because he is alive, he can make that exchange. That's the gospel. That, that while we were poor in our sin and Christ was rich in his righteousness, he came and took on our poverty of sin and offered us his wealth of righteousness. That's the gospel that... When we realize we've chased after the world, offending God, and, and still He pursued us in love in order to bring us back into a relationship with Him, to give us the full treasures of His presence and kingdom, when we realize that, that's when we start to taste and see how good He is and that He's better than everything else. And so we want to know this God. We want to know 
personally and intimately this real God who does that for us. That's what Moses saw. That's what, that's what Paul saw. And it changed their lives. I don't want us to just read the Bible like a good story and man, think, oh, that's neat. I, I want to know this for myself. I want to taste and see for myself that God is good. I don't want to miss out on the full abundance that Jesus came to bring. And I don't want it for you either. And I don't think you want it either. I think you want to encounter the fullness of joy. If, if there's an option that's greater than all of life, because this is how God made you, I believe you want that. You want the best option. And my prayer is that as we study who God is, He'll start to show us more and more and more that it's Him. And that we will joyfully walk away from anything that keeps us from Him. I'm excited. I'm real excited to, uh, to study this together with you. And uh, I think God's going to really believe that God is going to open up our eyes and, and, and doors to encounter Him like we've never dreamed possible. So let's pray and ask Him to do that so we fix our eyes on Him. God, would you, would you open our eyes to see You? to taste and see that you are good. We invite you to take a second wherever you are and just quietly sit and listen for his voice. What is he telling you from his word, from the life of Moses or Paul, from Philippians or Hebrews? Have you been settling for the fleeting pleasures of sin when you have the full abundance of his presence offered? Listen for his voice and be willing to respond. Holy Spirit, captivate our hearts. Open our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you, our hearts to love you. In Jesus we ask. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.